0: Hey, let's open our Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 20. Over the last uh, couple of weeks prior to today, we just so happened to be at the end, getting toward the end of John's Gospel. And certainly, we've already covered the, resurre- or the crucifixion excuse me, and the resurrection. And then, uh, boy, if we just could have waited another week or so, we would have been right on time uh, for today. But I'd like to read to you and read with me, if you would, just the first 18 verses, and that'll set the stage for what this day is really all about. And, and this morning, I really would like to share with you three things, and that is the importance of the resurrection, the importance of the resurrection. And secondly, the proof, or the proofs of the resurrection. And then, thirdly, how should we respond to that? How should we respond to the truth and the veracity of the resurrection? And so we're going to look at those three things today. But first, let's read it and get into context here. Remember Jesus, and we celebrated last Friday, just two days ago, Good Friday, when Jesus was crucified on the cross for our sin. And nobody likes to hear that, do they? Most people, when you approach them and they say, are you a sinner? The natural response is, well, I'm a good person right and and that's usually the response well i'm a good person yeah but you know the thing is is the bible tells us something different the bible tells us that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of god so i wasn't born a good person in fact it was just the opposite i was born a rascal i was born a a, a tyrant because i had a nature that was opposed to god and see that's why jesus Chose before the foundation of time, before the foundation of the world, before Genesis 1-1, it was already purposed that he would be the lamb. What does it say in Revelation 13, verse 8? That he was the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the earth. That means that the plan had already been in, in place by God. And he says, you know what? He had to give us free choice, right? He did, he gave us free choice, but given free choice, the natural man, the man, the unregenerate man, will always choose evil and that's why Jesus had to come to die in our place because the punishment that I deserve is eternal hell and by the way that's the punishment that all of you deserve too not just you but everybody else out there Because that's what the Bible says. And that may hurt your feelings a little bit. But you know what? Sometimes I need to have my feelings hurt because I need to hear the truth. I don't know about you, but I want to hear the truth. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, I need to know the truth. Value the truth. The truth is all we have. And you know what? The truth is given to us here in in these pages because this is God's inspired word. It's an inerrant word. And it's a word for you and I. And it's really quite simple, actually, but it's very com- uh, complex at the same time. Because we have sinned, and Jesus came and he, he died on the cross for us. And so we celebrated that on Friday. And so Jesus lay in the tomb for three days. He lay in the tomb for three days. And then today is the day we celebrate and commemorate the most significant event in the history, actually in all of eternity. This day, what we celebrate, is more important than anything else in the entire eternal realm. (laughs) Okay? This is significant. And so let's read what happened. So after those three days, on the morning of... The morning, this morning, nearly 2,000 years ago, it says, "Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark, notice, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, "They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him." Peter, therefore, went out, and the other disciple, who we know is the author of this gospel, which is John. And Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. And so they both ran together. And the other disciple, the humble John, uh, outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there. The linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. And then Simon Peter, following him, went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. And then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary, Mary Magdalene, she stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Excuse me. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. I love that heart of love and zeal. You know, Jesus weighed a lot more than Mary Magdalene and she's like, I'm going to take him away. I'm going to go find him and I'm going to take him. You just show me the way. I love that. So Jesus said to her, Mary. He said it in a way that she instantly knew. The inflection in his voice that he had spoken to her many other times before. Mary. And she turned and she said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and, and, and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father. And to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that He had spoken these things to her. And so, this is exactly what happened on the day of the resurrection. And there are many other events that we find in the other Gospels, things that had happened. But but I wanted to share with you this morning uh, just the importance of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, as I've already said, is the most important event in all of eternity. The death and the resurrection of Jesus was so significant that it changed how we relate to time. It did, didn't it? Because think about it, it's 2022 today, and it's 2022 AD, which is Latin, or the Latin is Anno Domine, which means in the year of our Lord. Why is that significant? Well, what happened on the resurrection day, What that event was so significant that now we celebrate the birth of the one who who paid the price for our sins and rose again. And we today celebrate, it is 2022 in the year of our Lord. That's the way it's always been. A.D. Anno Domine, in the year of our Lord. And that's 2,022 years since he became incarnate in human flesh. And when we think of B.C., that stands for before Christ, and we relate all events now based on when he was born. When he was born, now everything is related to that single moment. Why? Because of the crucifixion and the resurrection and the, the significance of that. It changed everything, how we relate to time, There's liberal scholars now that would love to erase all that and have their own, but it's too late now because it's been going on for so long now. But here we are, the significance of the resurrection. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is even more significant than his birth, more significant than his crucifixion, and yes, even more significant than the rapture of the church. The, The resurrection is the epicenter. It is the main focus because... Jesus' birth and his crucifixion, they would have no significance had it not been for the resurrection. So, why is the resurrection more significant than the birth of Jesus? It's very simple, actually, because if Jesus did not fulfill those prophecies of the Old Testament, and we've been looking at them over the last several weeks, if he didn't fulfill those concerning his death and resurrection, then his death would have no significance either or then his resurrection would have no significance. He would be no different than any other holy man in history who tried to make a name for himself. So why is the resurrection even more significant than the crucifixion? Well, the miracle of Jesus' resurrection was the proof of God the Father's acceptance of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And the proof of his power over death and hell and the grave again fulfilling the old testament prophecies and we 'll just look at a few of them you know when we think of that in isaiah fifty three uh, the prophet, seven hundred years before Christ was born, wrote this, he says, "Yet it pleased the Lord, speaking of this." The suffering servant who we know now is Jesus Christ. That's what that whole chapter is about. But it says, yet it pleased Jehovah. It pleased the Father to bruise him. Who's the him? It's speaking of the Messiah, Jesus. It pleased him. It satisfied him to bruise him, to crush him, is literally what the word is. And he has put him to grief. And when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed And he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Doesn't this sound like someone who has been crucified but now has been raised again? Because if he's crucified, it's a done deal. Then why are you going to prolong his days? And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. How can it prosper in his hand if he's dead? Do you follow? If you read Isaiah 53 carefully, you'll see that the vast majority of it is speaking of his crucifixion in vivid detail, actually. But what does Revelation tell us as well? Revelation chapter 1, Jesus, uh, when John saw him, he says, Jesus said to him, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And notice what he says, I have the keys of Hades, or hell, and I have the keys of death. See, Jesus now holds the keys to all those things. No longer does death have power over you. In fact, no longer does sin have power over you, Christian. If the Spirit of God is in you, He has given you great power to resist. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but you have the ability to resist that sin. And certainly when you do fall, you have the authority to ask God to forgive you. And Jesus says, if you ask to be forgiven, if you uh, confess your sins, He will be faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Is that a promise that you want to hang on to? It's a promise that I I have to hang on to because that's the only thing that secures me is the blood of Christ and his promises, his promises. And what does Colossians tell us? That he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all over all creation, for by him, speaking of Jesus... Are all things, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether they're thrones, whether they're principalities, dominions, or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things consist. He holds it all together. Yes, he's got the whole world in his hands. Shall we sing it? He's got the whole world in his hands. I love that. It's true. He's got more than the world. He's got all things in his hands. And, he is, and all things in him, they consist. And he is the head, notice, of the body. The church, you and I, he is the head of us, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Remember that. He is the firstborn of the dead, and in all things that he may have the preeminence. See, Jesus proved And he will prove at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, which is coming in the future. Do you know that there's another time coming? A time of blessing on this earth even. The Bible says that the rapture could occur. We'll talk about that shortly. But then we will be taken up. The real church will be taken up. And then there'll be a period of seven years of tribulation on the earth, which the world has never seen anything like it. But Jesus comes at the end of that in his second coming with you and I, we will come back to the earth with him on a, on a rebuilt temple that he's going to make in Jerusalem and we will live and rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And at the end of that thousand years, the enemy of our soul, Satan, the false prophet, the Antichrist, all of these three, death and hell, will be cast into the lake of fire that will burn forever and ever and we will have no more wrangling with him ever again. Can I get an amen? Amen. I'm looking forward to that day because that's what the Bible says. And the Bible says it's true. You can absolutely take it to the bank. You can take and rest assured that what God says is true. But the resurrection of Jesus was indeed a miracle because no one has ever died and rose again in a resurrection body like Jesus' body. No one has ever done that. Even Lazarus, he was raised... From the dead, but he didn't have the resurrection body because he wasn't the first fruit, the firstborn of the dead. Jesus would be the first fruit and the firstborn of the dead. And I want to remind you of something, that miracles confirm the word of God and the truth that was spoken. Miracles confirm the word of God and the truth that was spoken. And the miracle of Jesus' resurrection confirmed what the prophets have been stating for hundreds of years, even a few thousand years. And again, the miracle confirms the word that was given or spoken and not the other way around. See, God makes sure that when He speaks and He says something, He confirms it with a miracle. The miracle doesn't, uh, it's not the other way around. And why is that? Because the Bible says that by faith comes hearing. You know, faith comes by hearing the word of God. It doesn't say faith comes by seeing the miracle. Do you know many people have seen miracles and have still walked away unbelieving? But there's something about the word of God, the, the truth of the word of God, that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. That is what changed my heart. That is what changed your heart. And therefore, excuse me, that is the, the main thing. And when that, those things are spoken, the miracles come and confirm the word that was spoken. Because if Jesus only claimed to die for our sins but did not rise from the grave, then we have no confidence and no assurance of our salvation, the resurrection, and we certainly don't have any confidence of spending eternal life with Jesus either. And in fact, if that is the case, then we might as well just have a big party because this is as good as it gets. We might as well have a big street party because that's as good as it's going to get, folks, if indeed this is not true. But it is true. And so now we know, now we know, and the resurrection was the exclamation point to the crucifixion. In fact, what is it uh, Peter tells us on the day of Pentecost? He underscores this very nicely when he speaks to a very large crowd in Jerusalem. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by by lawless hands, you've crucified him. You've put him to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, and here David, uh, a thousand years before Christ, he says this: I foresaw the Lord uh, always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad, and moreover my flesh. Also, will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Quoting from Psalm 16, a thousand years before Christ was born. So, Peter underscores the importance of the resurrection. Yes, it is, it's very important. And, um, and, no, and then continuing on to verse 29, he says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you concerning the patriarch David, who he just quoted from. He said that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, yes, David was not only a king, but he was a prophet. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne And he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. And so Peter underscores very nicely the truth and the importance of the resurrection. And again, and or also, why then is the resurrection more significant than the crucifixion? Well, Paul gives us the answer in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me read it to you. You can write the reference down. And this makes total sense, and it's very easy to understand. This is the reason that it was more his resurrection was even more important than his crucifixion, because he says, Now if Christ is preached. That he has been raised from the dead. How do some say among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? And here it is, verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we also... Are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins, and then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in this life we only have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most miserable. Isn't that true? If that's all it is, just to kind of keep us in check and keep us in line so that we're good boys and girls, if that's all we do is have hope in this life, but there's no hope for the resurrection and living forever with him, then this is all a big sham. It's a big fake. We might as well leave this place. But we also believe that the same body that Jesus was resurrected in will be the same for us. And it will be a different body than we currently have right now. You see, in heaven, there will be no more sickness and no more pain and no more crying due to sorrow. It says in Revelation 21, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. (laughs) How many of you have cried over the last couple of years? For many reasons, tears in your eyes and sorrow. And he says, there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Oh, how I look forward to that. I am looking forward to that. And in 1 Timothy, Paul tells his protege, he's speaking of Christ, he says, He alone has immortality. He dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Uh, We we will need a new body just like Jesus' body. And remember when Jesus, that night that he, the day that he was resurrected, that very night he appeared to his disciples and what did he tell them? He says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as I have. Notice he didn't say flesh and blood, because the life, Leviticus tells us, is in the blood. But who is powering Jesus now? It's not the blood, it's the Spirit of God. There was no blood in him. His body was energized by the Spirit of God, as we will be also at the resurrection. Now, we've looked at these verses a lot over the last several days, and I don't apologize for that, so I'm just going to get right into it, because this is one of the most significant resurrection chapters you can read. It's in 1 Corinthians 15. We're just going to look at a, few, uh, a good chunk of that chapter, actually. But notice this body that Jesus rose from the grave from, the same body that we believe we are going to receive at the rapture of the church. He says, But someone will say, how are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body." So now he's going to describe these different kinds of things that we see in nature that make a lot of sense to us. You know, we look at birds and we look at fish and fowls of the air and they all have a certain type of flesh. Even we have a terrestrial body. It's made of the earth, right? It goes right back to Genesis. God formed us. He formed Adam and he became a living soul. So our bodies are terrestrial, but we're due for an upgrade that doesn't cost us anything per month. There's no subscription here. It's going to be one deal and he's going to do it. And he's going to change these mortal bodies into a celestial body, just like Jesus. Notice he goes, all flesh, verse 39, is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another kind of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. And there's also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. You and I have a terrestrial body. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. And there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from one, another, from one other star in glory, and so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. Can anybody say amen to that? When you woke up this morning and your hip was bothering you, when your foot is, you know, from the surgery that you had is bothering you, from that, you know, your spleen was removed and you can still feel it there and you got arthritis and you're falling apart, we're just a mess. Can anybody relate? Raise your hand if you've, you know, woke up this morning and you realized that you're made of corruption. Yeah, I can relate to that. As soon as I hit 40, I woke up and realized, oh, my goodness, things have changed dramatically and then when I hit 50, oh, things even change more dramatically. I'm looking forward to the next several years if the Lord cherries. But really, the Spirit of God just says, Rob, you just need to lose about 20 pounds and you'd feel a lot better. And I'm like, thank you very much. But notice, it has sown a natural body excuse me, i got to back up. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It's going to be raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, which is true. I know that of myself. But it will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. I can relate to that. But it's going to be raised in power. It is sown a natural body, which we all have. But it will be raised a spiritual body. And there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Yes, because Jesus was raised by the power of the Spirit of God, received a brand new body. That's why they didn't quite recognize him when he rose from the grave. There was something unique about him, something just a little bit different. They're like, is that? Yeah, that is him. His voice sounds the same, just slightly different. And you and I too. You know, if you were born and you weren't really pretty, You weren't really handsome when you were born. Maybe you're not today. Well, you you got another shot at this, at the resurrection. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of the dust, and that's you and I. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And I can say hallelujah for that. Can you? Are you excited about that? Yeah. Yeah. But the miracle of the resurrection was the proof of Jesus' power over victory over the grave. And subsequently, you and I also have that same victory. It tells us, going on in Corinthians 15, verse 50, he says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. And here, folks, you've got to understand, this is the resurrection for the believer, for the church. This is the process by which it happens. Paul tells us now how this is going to take place and rejoice in this because when Jesus rose from the grave, he died for you and me. He defeated death and hell by rising from the grave. And he says that same body, that same resurrection life that is in him, that raised him by the spirit of God, that same spirit of God. If you're a believer, that same spirit indwells you And it is a down payment. The Bible calls it the earnest of our salvation. He puts a down payment in me and in you, and then he's going to come and he's going to redeem it physically. When you go to a car place and you buy a car, usually in the past you'd go down and put money down on the car, and then you'd make payments until you finally paid the thing off, and then you would go to the car shop and say, I paid my last payment. Can I have the keys now to that brand new Bugatti? And they would say, no, you can't afford the insurance right? But after we've made the installments, we put the down payment on, we've made all the payments, now we go and redeem it. We go and we take possession of it. See, that's what we have. That's the resurrection. That is the rapture of the church, the glorious moment that we are all waiting for, the one that Jesus paid the price for. Now, he says here in verse 50, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, I got to that point already, starting in verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery, and here it is, We shall not all sleep, meaning we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, notice, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory. And, O death, where is your sting? We sung it this morning. O Hades, where, or hell, where is your victory? Quoting from Hosea, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he ends it with this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Aren't you excited about that? See, I'm looking forward to the resurrection for more than one reason, and, and, and honestly, j- just the bodily change is nothing. I mean, that's something we can certainly look forward to, but I want to be in his presence. I'm looking forward to being with him. I could care less about how good I look or don't look. It's not, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to look like. Am I going to be like, you know, 5'10 and svelte and have, you know, hair, you know? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't care what I look like. I could look like a lizard. Just get me there, Lord. I want to be in your presence, See, all that other stuff is immaterial. The thing that's really important is I'm going to be in the presence of him, the one who loved me from the very beginning, that while I was still in my sins, he died for me. That's the one I'm going to see. That's the one I'm going to be with for eternity. How, how much better could that be? That is the best deal of all. Why aren't people flocking to Christ? He did all the pain. He paid all the price. He did all the pain. He went through all the suffering so that we wouldn't have to. It seems like a pretty good trade off to me. That's the best trade off that's ever happened. Why aren't people flocking and running, tripping over each other to come to the cross? It astounds me. And we know why because of that old rebel inside of us until you're regenerated until you are born again this stuff makes no sense to you but oh isn't it wonderful when the spotlight when the god just places his spirit in you and all of a sudden you just become alive you know what i'm talking about because for those of you who are born again there was a moment where the light bulb went off all of a sudden you could care less about anything all your sins had been forgiven you knew that it had been forgiven you knew that you were heaven bound and there was nothing that could stop you even hell could not get in the way of that And that's the truth. That's the truth of what happened. That's the truth of the victory of Jesus on the cross. And that's the victory that you and I share. So let me say this. Why then is the resurrection even more important than the rapture? Well, the answer is, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then neither will we. 1 Corinthians 15 says, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Notice, again, Christ the firstfruits. And then afterwards, those who are Christ at his coming. If he didn't rise, then we won't rise either. And again, we are wasting our time. We might as well live for the flesh. And leave this place and go to the bar and have a few beers. If that is the case. But that is not the case because he did pay the price. He did. We will go through a resurrection. And by the way, those who are even outside of Christ will be resurrected as well. They too will receive a body, the Bible tells us. We don't have a lot of time to go into that today. But yes, every single human being will be raised... Some to everlasting life and others to everlasting condemnation and hell. And we have to make the decision in the 70 or 80 years that we have on this earth to make a decision for Christ. And I hope that you make that decision today. Perhaps you've already made that decision today. Well, even if you have made that decision today, I want to encourage you to get serious about it and draw closer to the Lord and not allow things to just kind of get oh hum and just kind of allow your life to be on autopilot. No, press in, press in and draw close to him. Be in the word, know what the word of God says, more so than anything else that you see. Turn off the television, turn off the cable, turn off all that stuff. I need to do that too, by the way, so I'm pointing the finger at me. Turn it all off. It would be better for us to sit with our Bibles and spend that time in the Word of God rather than watching stuff that is not profitable. (laughs) Let me read something to you. Paul intimated, actually he was very clear about it in 1 Corinthians 15 but in first Thessalonians 4:13 through18, this is a, a passage that you 've heard me quote a lot, but i 'm going to read it again because there's some of you who need to hear it again, and some maybe you 've never heard this before. But again, it speaks of the rapture, the resurrection of the church. If Christ has been resurrected, then we are also due for a resurrection, as the scriptures have told us. And here it is. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, says, But brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep or those who have died, lest we sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those... uh, For if we say to you by the word of the Lord... uh, Excuse me, let me back up here. I got ahead of myself. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, notice, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, speaking of the rapture, will by no means precede those who are asleep or who have died in Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And notice, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up harpazo or rapio in the Latin. We will be snatched up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. When Jesus comes back for the church, he doesn't set foot on the earth at all. He changes us. The dead in Christ are raised in their uh, resurrection bodies. They, they go up in an instant, and then we which are alive and remain will instantly receive our new bodies and be with him, and we will meet him in the air in the clouds. I'm looking forward to that. I'm leaving my Nike Airs right here on planet Earth. There's going to be smoke coming out of them, and I'm going to be gone. I don't actually own Nike Airs. They're really expensive, but that's another thing. So, and together to meet them, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then he says, comfort one another with these words. And it is a comfort, isn't it, to know that that day's coming. But what about the proofs of the resurrection? In Acts chapter 1, Paul, uh, excuse me, Paul tells us... I'm sorry, not not Paul, but Luke, excuse me. He says this in the first three verses of Acts chapter 1. The former account I I, I made, uh, and that's the gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles from whom he had chosen, to whom he also... Listen to this. This is one of the proofs of the resurrection to whom also he presented himself alive after his suffering. After the crucifixion, he, proved, he presented himself alive by many infallible tr- uh, uh, proofs, many unmistakable truths. This idea is, it is a fact. It is something that God has uh, done, and he's made sure that we understand it. It was an infallible or unmistakable proof. Notice, being seen by them for four, during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And with something as significant as the resurrection, one would, th- one would think that God would make sure that it would not go unnoticed. And he did. He made sure of it. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to read through some things here for you. Because if that was so significant, then he would have told us way in advance. He would have confirmed it in the present at the time that this was written. And he would also show us things yet to come. It would be something we would learn before in in, in time, in, in the present, and also in the future. And that's exactly what he did. The crucifixion, the resurrection, prophesied hundreds and even a few thousand years in advance. Psalm 22 tells us, we read that on Good Friday, And then the last part of the Psalm 22, I would encourage you to read it from verse 22 through 31. The rest of it speak of this one who was crucified but now is alive. And so it it kind of breaks the whole chapter up into two pieces, if you will. You know, Verses 1 through 21, the, the crucifixion, and then verses 22 through 31 speaks of him being alive and receiving the benefits of new life. You can read that for yourself. And also in uh, Isaiah chapter 53, we know that the majority of that chapter spoke vividly in detail of the crucifixion. We looked at that on Friday night, of the grueling things that occurred on the cross, very specific things unique to crucifixion. Yes, the horrible torture that it was. Very specifically, detail was given to us in these two chapters. If you read Psalm 22 and Psalm 53, there's no way of escaping. And then read the gospel account of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, and it will be the the, the clearest thing you've ever seen. And yet, those two passages, Psalm 22, written a 1,000 years before it happened, and then Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Jesus would come incarnate in in human flesh. Wouldn't you say that that was something that God made sure? He showed them in advance, and then finally it does come to pass. And he made sure the resurrection would not go unnoticed. There's an interesting prophecy uh, in Hosea, and I'd like to share it with you. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, it says this, After two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will raise us up, that we might live in his sight. Now, another scripture, 2 Peter chapter 3, says this, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. So when I go back and I read this, prophecy in Hosea, it really blew me away. And I've heard this before, but last night it really kind of captivated me and I started to put the numbers on the paper and I found something really interesting. Found something really interesting. And I'm just going to share it to you for what it's worth. It's just one of those things that's kind of hot off the press, for at least for me, because I've heard of this before, but I never really put the pieces together and looked at the, the numbers. Uh, Hosea prophesied somewhere between 755 and Uh, B.C. to 710, so approximately 45 years. And so let's just pick, and and remember what he said, uh, um, uh, what did he say there? After two days, he will revive us, and and on on the third day, he will raise us up. Now this was from an Old Testament prophet prophesying at that time when he said this. So if we look at the time that he prophesied between 755 and 710 B.C., let's just pick a round number because what's 50 years or 20 years in in, in relationship to 1,000 years? Let's just pick 750 because that's just a little bit after he started prophesying. Let's just take 750. Fast forward 1,000 years. Now you're at 250 A.D. That's day one. Now I'll go from 250, another 1,000 years, another day. 1250 A.D. Fast forward now the third day and go forward another thousand years. What does that bring you to? 2250. Now these are approximate approximations. Okay, I'm just using the round number for ease of our minds here. But notice the first day, he says, after notice, after two days he will revive us. What happened after the second day? So he's talking about this period from 1250 A.D. to 2250. What happened? He says, after two days, he will revive us. So we're already into the third day. So after two days, he will revive us. What happened on May 14th, 1948? That had never occurred to anybody. Jerusalem, or Israel became a nation again, right? So after two days, after two days, he will revive us. And then it says, and then on the third day, he will will raise us up. So, folks, you and I, and I'm not placing dates here. Okay, don't get nervous because we know that there's no day or time. We don't know when the rapture is going to occur. But I have a pretty good hunch in my heart that it's going to happen in that third day. That third day, meaning somewhere between now and 2250. You know what that is? That's like 238 years. There's a lot that can happen in 238 years. And, in fact, I think it's going to be even shorter than that just in my own heart because what's going to happen in that 238 years If the Lord tarries that long, and I don't think he will. The church has to be removed. There has to be a seven-year tribulation. And at the end of that tribulation and at the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ, it says that the Jews, the Old Testament saints, will be raised to life. It tells us that in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. You can read it for yourself. And so Hosea, being a Jewish prophet, is confirming what Daniel said and what we know to be true all along. And it speaks of the resurrection. So we, I, I believe, and, and, and again, somewhere in this time period, somewhere between 1948 up until now, actually uh, wherever we're at now until that, we still got 238 years, folks, for a lot of things to occur, and I think they're going to happen even sooner than that. I think these things are going to come, and we've seen that in the last two years. Are your eyes open? Have you seen what's been going on over the last two years? Never before, and I've talked to a lot of elderly people, and I've asked them, have you seen anything like this ever that's going on that happened in our country in the last two years? They said, I've never seen anything like it, ever. If that be the case, and these things that we are currently going through, that the Bible has already spoken to us in Revelation I already prophesied. We've, already, we've been looking at it, and we talked about it. You know, the, the, the one world currency is coming, and the one world government is coming. All of these things are coming, and they are happening more now rapidly than we've ever seen. In the last two years, I've literally been confounded at how fast these things have come to pass. Are you seeing it? Are you awake? Because if you're not, you need to wake up. Lovingly, I say that to you, brothers and sisters. Open our eyes. Open our eyes. Get our eyes fixed on Jesus. On Jesus. Nothing else. Because the time is short. It is short. And the church is going to be raptured very soon. I have no idea when it's going to be, but I have a pretty good idea it's going to be before 2250. But the prophet said in the third day, Notice, on the third day, he will raise us up. And he's speaking about the Jews. And if that be the case, then we know that the rapture for the church is going to be even sooner than that. Could happen today. I hope it does happen today. And you know what? I hope it even happens before I eat my steak tonight. You know, most people are thinking, well, I have this great meal planned. I'm going to have, you know, know, strawberry cheesecake and a nice steak. Can you just wait until after that? I'm like... That would be really nice. But you know what? Now would be a good time. Because all that stuff, I could care less about. Because believe me, when that happens, when the trump sounds and the Lord changes us, oh my goodness. The thing that we've been, the blessed hope, the, the, the one that we've been longing for, the one who saved us, oh my goodness, it's going to change everything. I, I can't imagine the moment when that occurs, the resurrection, we're going to be so blown out I would imagine that every one of us, our hearts are going to be completely consumed in in joy so much that the tears are just going to run down our face. As we are being changed and taken up, we're going to be like, this is better than anything I could ever thought. (laughs) Does that give you goosebumps? I hope it does, because it's given me goosebumps to think about it. But see, that's what we have to look forward to. It is such a glorious, glorious future we have. And again, the Lord would make us make sure that the resurrection of Christ would not go unnoticed, because when the time was drawing near that Jesus would go on the cross, on at least three occasions he told his disciples, and here they are. He told them that he would go to Jerusalem, that he would die, he'd be crucified. But then he said, but Be of good cheer. On the third day, I will rise. And he would also uh, give us even more hints so that this resurrection would not go unnoticed. Jesus literally fulfilled in his time on earth every one of those things that had been prophesied concerning his death and resurrection. And even, not only the Bible, but even secular history attests to it. There's plenty of proof. If you're willing to look for it, the proof is all around the proof is all around. It is so incredible. There is so much. And what more could God have done? I mean, think about the proof. There was a guarded tomb. There was a guarded tomb. Roman soldiers were there at the tomb, and they certainly confirmed that Jesus was in the tomb before they sealed that rock And as they rolled it up. They sealed that tomb. They made sure he was in there. Are you going to tell me that a, a, a small group of disciples are going to come against an army? Soldiers and steal his body away? (laughs) There was a a guarded tomb. And then when the resurrection did occur, it it, it occurred. And then the the angel rolled away the stone, not to let Jesus out, but so that everybody could go in and see what had happened. He'd passed through the rock in his resurrection body. That's a proof. (laughs) That's a proof. And the soldiers had to be bribed with money. Because they knew the truth. They were there when the angel rolled away the stone, and they went to the leaders, and they told them what had happened, and it didn't fit their narrative. And so they said, listen, because you allowed this to happen, you're worthy of death according to Roman law. But I tell you what, we'll, we'll work this out. We'll speak to the magistrates and make sure nothing happens to you. And oh, by the way, just to add a cherry on top, we're gonna give each of you a great sum of money, and all you gotta do is keep your mouth shut. And they're like, sounds good to me. I get a nice paycheck, and my life is spared. Sounds good to me. And that's exactly what they did. But even after the resurrection, Jesus was seen by many after the resurrection. And then the details at the scene of the tomb, as they walked into the tomb, remember we read it in John this morning, as they went into the tomb, they saw that the wraps that Jesus was wrapped in, they literally collapsed in on themselves because he passed through the wraps. And then the napkin that was around his head was folded in a separate place over on another area inside the tomb. Now, let me ask you a question. Here's a good proof. If you're going to go in and steal your Savior who has died and you're going to get through past all the troops, you get, you know, if you can get through all of them, if you can throw, you know, throw some flashbangs and a grenade and they all blow up, and then you go in, in there and you do your you know, black ops thing, if you're able to, to get that far, are you going to wait around and fold the napkin separately in a place? Are you going to, aren't are you just going to grab the body with all the wraps? You're not going to care about anything. You're just going to grab him and go. It's a snatch and grab thing, right? So, but that didn't happen. They went in the tomb, and the, the wraps collapsed, the napkin by itself. You put all these things together. Any, most people, when they look at the details, in fact, many have, many great minds, even Ro- Sir Robert Anderson, uh, a, an investigator for Scotland Yard, He actually investigated the claims of the resurrection, and in the process of looking at all these details, looking at all the gospel accounts, putting them all together, he fell to his knees and received Christ. (laughs) And any genius, anyone who has a mind at all can look at this and go, my goodness, this is true, but most people don't. They're just like, "Ah, I don't believe it. Well, if you don't believe it, I hope that you went through the homework and done the homework to find out what it was really all about. Why? Because your eternity depends upon it. Your eternity depends on what you know. So why wouldn't you want to know? Oh, there's plenty to look at, and it's all very easy to see. But the resurrection... And not only that, but there was an earthquake, another miracle. At the time, Jesus says, It is finished. The price has been paid in full. To tell us, Dei, he said. And, and, and when that happened, and when he gave up the ghost, it says that the, there was a great earthquake. The veil in the temple, which was several inches thick and very tall, was torn from the top to the bottom. Another miracle. And then the stones and the graves were broken up. And then on the day that he was resurrected, after he rose from the grave, there were other, those people who were in the graves, many of them began to rise and walk around in Jerusalem. People that had died, all of a sudden, they've got flesh back on their bones, and they're walking around in Jerusalem. I would say that's a pretty significant proof of the resurrection. All these things put together makes it very obvious. So the resurrection of Christ is a fact, and it's without disputation. Without disputation. So, how should you respond to the resurrection? You know, we've looked at why it is important. We looked at the proofs, some of the proofs, there's a lot more. We looked at the proofs of the resurrection. So, how should you respond to the resurrection? Well, hopefully, all of you already have. But I see a number of new faces here this morning. And how has the resurrection of Christ, how has that affected you? How should you respond? Well, if you've never given your heart to Christ, can I suggest that the first thing you do is confess your sins before God? That's how we need to respond to the resurrection. If that is true, and the things that I've already shared with you are very true, they're not only true scripturally in the Bible, but they are also true in secular history. There's a lot. That even secular historians, are the, the date that we live in today is 2022. Never forget that. Because no other holy man or no other guru of any other religion had such an effect on eternity that they would change time and, and base all events based upon that single moment. I mean, think about it. Think about it. Did that happen for uh, Muhammad? Did that happen for Joseph Smith? Did that happen for Uh, Charles Taz Russell from the Watchtower? Did that happen for Brigham Young? Did that happen for Buddha? Did that happen for Allah? Did it happen for David Koresh in Waco, Texas? No, it did not. But it happened for one, Jesus Christ. He changed everything. Even the very date that we put on our checks as we write our checks Everything is about him. It's all about him. Will you give him glory? Let's give him glory. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. He loves you. He loves you. But see, I need to respond to this. If you are not a believer, you've never given your heart to Christ, confess your sins before God, repent of everything that you know that you know has been against the Lord, and then receive Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior. That's what it means to be born again. It's not something you, you don't write a check to the church and say, well, I want to be saved and that's going to get me into heaven. No. Being born again is confessing my sin and trusting and believing everything he said, everything he did, and now allowing the spirit of God to indwell me. That's what being born again is. I pray that you are all born again. And if you are not born again, hey, today is the day. Don't let this day go by without receiving Jesus. And it's very simple to do. And I can be honest with you, it, he's done all the work. All you have to do is believe that he did those things. The things I share with you this morning, those things, do you believe them? Because if you believe them, then you, it'll be very easy for you to say, Lord, I believe everything that was said here today. Because your word is true. You've never lied to us. You never will lie to us. You can't lie to us. How can a man who knows, how can one who knows all things, who's omniscient and omnipresent, how can he say... You know, i got to lie to them to get them tricked into this. No, he doesn't need to. He just lays the offer out on the table. And then you and I have to walk up to that offer and say, I receive that offer of salvation by faith in Christ alone. Will you do that today? If you haven't done that today, please do that today. You don't, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. I've heard so many instances. Is this a scare tactic? Maybe, but I don't mean it to be. But it's true. It's reality. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I could walk out of my house and get struck by lightning. And guess what? I'm in glory. But if you don't know Christ and that happens, that's not a good thing. We don't have any guarantees, but we have this moment, folks. We have this day. We have this time And can I suggest to you that if you've never given your heart to Christ, do it today. Do it this morning. Before you leave this place, get together with somebody. Come up. I'd be glad to pray with you. It would be a great honor to pray with you to receive Christ. But you don't need me. You can receive Christ where you're sitting right now. In your own volition of your own heart, you can just say, Lord, I don't want to make a big spectacle here, but in my heart I know I'm a sinner. I know I've sinned against you and I know I'm bound for hell, but I know and I believe that what you did on the cross was sufficient. I know that you rose again. I know what your word says is coming and it is coming. It is coming. Are you excited? I tell you what, I'm, I just can't wait. I can't wait. Do you love him? Because guess what? He loves you more than you could possibly understand or know. See, our love that we have is very conditional. Let's just be honest. If you are nice to me, then I'll be nice to you. But think about how unconditional God's love is because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He endured the cross, despised the shame, and yet he did it willingly for the joy that was set before him. While I was still in my sin, while I was still arguing with him, while I was still doing sinful things, he still loved me. He didn't agree with what I was doing, but he still loved me. And then finally, when I came into agreement with him and I said, God, I have sinned, and he's like, yeah, you have. What are you going to do about that, Rob? And I said, I'm going to fall under the weight of your forgiveness. Lord, please forgive me for my sin, all of my sins. Wash me in the blood of Christ. Just consume me, God. And you do that. You do that, and you will experience a freedom and a burden off your shoulders that you've never, ever felt before, and it'll be the most glorious thing. And you don't have to worry about anything else. You just let the Lord work in your life, and you just enjoy him. Enjoy him. You don't have to, you know, oh, i got to stop smoking before I receive Christ. i got to stop sleeping with my girlfriend before I I receive Christ. Hey, listen, forget about all that. Receive Christ, and he'll take care of the rest. He will. Trust me. And that drives people nuts. When somebody comes to Christ, and they're still caught up in their sin, and people are like, I can't... (laughs) I can't forgive you. You're still messing up. Well, he already has, and he's working, and he's slowly going through my rotten garden. (laughs) He's going through my garden. He's pulling up all the weeds, and all these weeds are these sins in my life. Notice that he does that instantly when you receive him. He cleans up your act. Don't you try to clean up your act and then come to him because guess what? You'll never come to him. You'll always be trying to clean up your act and then feeling guilty about it. Hey, listen, there's no guilt involved here. You simply just respond to the truth and do and receive him, and then he does the rest. That's the way it works. Isn't that beautiful? That takes the, the whole impetus off of me now. Then I'm not involved. I just, I'm just the vessel that re- received the gift, and that's what it is. It's a free gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Notice, it's a gift for God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? His only begotten son, Jesus, on the cross. And why? That if I believe in him, I would not perish and go to hell, but I would have everlasting life in the presence of God. That's what I want. Is that what you want? I want it. And he wants to give it to you. It's, it's, the, 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 it's been, the gift has already been paid for. And it's been secured. It's been secured by God Almighty. And nobody can take you Take that away from you. It is more sure than anything that you even put in the bank. The deposit that he makes is so sure that no one, not even, in fact, the Bible says that there's nothing in heaven or or hell beneath that can take us out of the hand of God. When you give your heart to him, you are secure in that foundation. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Satan himself cannot come and say, I'm taking him out of your hands. God says, try it. going to wallop you right in the face. He doesn't even have to punch him. He could say, away with you. And he must obey God because Satan is a created being. <laughs> Think of the joy of that. He loves you. Will you make that decision today? And so that is our response. And here it is. One we'll, we'll here in just a few seconds. Thank you for your time. I know I'm going a, I got a little excited. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, when the rapture comes, that we will be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him, purifies himself just as he is pure. Now does that mean that I can purify myself and atone for my own sin and go to heaven? No, that's not what that means. What it means is because of what Jesus has done, he's done all the work but now I, I, I physically gotta do things, right? I gotta um, as, if his spirit is in me then I'm going to put off those old things. I'm gonna put off the old man and the deeds of the old man, the fornication, the lying, the stealing, the cheating. There's a whole list that we could look at and, and we really don't have time to do this, but I would encourage you, can I just say this? Write these two chapters down. Colossians chapter 3 and Romans 6. Read them in their entirety because he gives these lists of things. We need to put off this stuff. We need to put off the wrath, the malice, the fornication, the, the lying, the stealing, and the cheating, and the, you know, smoking filtered, unfiltered cigarettes, whatever. Oh, I'm just kidding. But you, know, you put off those things and you put on the robe of righteousness. You put on Christ. You put on Christ. That's what he wants. It's like changing clothes. And when the rapture occurs at the resurrection, the same body that Jesus was wrecked, didn't he change clothes? The wraps that he was in were left behind. He received a new body, a new change. You and I also are going to receive a new change But he doesn't want to just wait for the the resurrection for that to happen. He's already working right now. It's called the process of sanctification. It's setting you apart from something, that pile of ugly things. He's setting you apart from that, and he's setting you apart unto righteousness, Christ's likeness, his righteousness. He's setting you apart. That's what sanctification is. It's a process. It takes time. And we're all going through that process right now. That's why we still have issues. Does anybody here have issues still? Raise your hand if you still have issues. I still have issues. God is working though, isn't he? A lot of my issues are, are in the grave, but some of those issues are still lingering and he's constantly encouraging me. You better stay away from that, Rob. You better keep your eyes off of that. You better walk the straight and narrow Okay, Lord, I trust you and I believe you because I've already seen what you've done and so therefore I trust you. Do you trust him? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. You got it. Let's stand together and let's pray. Again, if you desire to come to Christ today, today would be the best day ever to do it. To have a spiritual birthday on the day that Christ rose from the grave would be the greatest thing. I wish I had. I mean, I'm glad to, to receive Christ at any time. It doesn't matter. I don't care. But to have your spiritual birthday to be this day would be so awesome. Because now you know. You've been given the information. But what, how will you respond to that? Again, read Colossians 3 and read Romans 6. If you, are Christ, if you are in Christ, then these things, Christians, we need to be thinking about. And the Holy Spirit will help you put off those things and then help you put on the new things, the, the very robe of righteousness of Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. I, I pray for everyone here, Lord, that our hearts would just be soft and open and that, Lord, you would just take us by the hand through this whole process of this wonderful life. Yes, Lord, even the difficulties that we're going through right now, Lord, it really is a wonderful life. It is certainly not boring, God. And you've given us everything. You've told us in advance what's coming. We know what's coming. We don't know the minutia of what's coming, but we know the big picture. And Lord, you love us and you've given us salvation and you've given this offer of salvation. Lord, I pray that we would all take it like eager children would take something from a father who's giving them something really sweet. Lord, that we would take it, the offer of salvation. And Lord, for those of us who have known you for some time, may we continue to take it. May we continue to run with it. May we continue to love and relish in the love that you have for us and all the great things, the wonderful, precious promises that you have for us in your word, Lord. So thank you, Lord. I pray that you would just really pour out your spirit in a special way on every single person and their families and their extended families today as they gather, Lord. I pray that their time together at the meal that they have together will be the sweetest time they've ever had. I pray that the time that they fellowship and hang out and they talk, Lord, that the bonds of their relationships, of their families would grow stronger Father, I pray that you would give words to those who are in their families that don't know you, Lord, that that today may be the day that you broach that topic. Today may be the day. Would you give them the courage and the strength, and would you lead them by your spirit to do that, if it is indeed today? And Lord, just continue to sanctify us. Lord, how we love you and we thank you. And Lord, this day belongs to you. We belong to you. We love you with all of our heart, God. Consume us in your glory. Consume us in your love. And be glorified in our midst and in and through us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you.